Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger. And as always, we have another amazing guest in the world of innovation. Welcome to the show, Aaron Proietti. Aaron, hello. Hi, Brian. We've been friends for a while, but I don't know if our audience knows everything about your background. So let's start a little bit from the standpoint of you've been in this innovation space for 17 plus years. You used to run innovation at Transamerica. And I wanted to get you on your show because you've got a new book coming out as well. So Aaron, welcome to the show. Let's start off with telling me a little bit about how did you get into innovation? It was a pretty circuitous route. I was uh, originally a math guy in college and a bit of an introvert. And I went into data. I got a job that would be called data science now. It was my first job out of college. And it was at Capital One, which just happened to be a very entrepreneurial company. And I didn't know I was getting into that environment, but I very quickly learned what it took to be entrepreneurial and to thrive in that environment where it was identify and solve business problems or you were out. And, and that trait, I guess I, I picked up on it from day one. And I started to figure out in every environment that I then went into and was introduced into, I started to figure out how can I identify and solve business problems here? And just that attitude took me towards innovation. And eventually I found myself leading, like you said, a large innovation effort at Transamerica. So let's step back a few years ago when you're in the midst of that. Most folks don't last in the innovation space 17 years or 17 months, let alone 17 years in that. Take us back to the days when you were early in the transformation of, of Transamerica and that. And what were the things that you really understood or, or tried to implement in such a way that gave you a longer runway in that space? You have to be very adaptive. And <laughs> to be a successful innovator inside of a complex organization, you have to learn how to roll with the punches. I think I've got a resilience and I've surrounded myself with people who also had the same resilience of being told no or you know, folks who weren't dissuaded when they met resistance. There's a funny thing about innovation in corporations is that everyone wants it to happen, but often the very traits of the corporation that made it successful are the things that stand in the way of innovation. So you get this play of, we want to be more creative, we want to be more inspiring and have a different approach to doing work with, well, we can't do it any other way than we've been doing it because that's the way our system is designed. And you have to be able to be resilient in the face of all of the roadblocks that you're facing. Without that, I wouldn't have lasted. You know, you can be very frustrated and feel very defeated as an innovator in a complex organization. It's absolutely the truth and the fact that people don't like to break the machine that's working and making the money in the first place. But as you mentioned, the world is changing and we have to adapt to the fact that it's changing and your machine may not work the same way it did when you first started it. You've got a new book out, or it's actually coming out in January, so you can pre-order okay. it on Amazon today, but it's called Today's Innovators. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about what got you excited about writing a book? I left corporate America in 2016. I like to say I escaped the corporate gravity. Uh, I wanted to see what I would make of myself outside of that environment. About a year in, I was writing a piece 
for uh, an innovation magazine called Innovation Leader. And it was a piece on the biggest roadblocks or barriers to innovation inside of a corporation. And it probably was a two or three hour piece that I had to write. And I ended up spending a whole week on it. <laughs> and you know, what I did was threw up everything I knew about innovation on post-it notes in my office and started to organize it all. And at the end of all that exercise, I said, I've got it. This is a book. There's a story here. <laughs> so I wrote the piece for Innovation Leader, but then actually reorganized everything into what today's innovator talks about, which is how do you create an environment instead of naming the resistance and roadblocks? How do you create an environment where innovation can thrive, mm-hmm. which is the very opposite of the resistance and roadblocks that you're going to meet inside of an organization? I ended up breaking it down into four categories of Uh, making sure you have the right strategy in place, making sure you have the right culture, making sure you have the right systems of innovation, but most importantly, making sure that you are today's innovator. And so the fourth part of the book talks a lot about who is today's innovator, just how do you need to act and and who do you need to be in order to thrive in innovation in a complex organization? Well, I like that part of the concept around that because I think too many books talk about some of the, you hear about culture and that, and you hear about the systems and some of the tools and that, But oftentimes, obviously, the people are the ones that are actually going to be in the trenches making this happen. So having a portion of the book that's dedicated to helping people understand that, it's probably very important. And I'm excited to dig into that. When I got my chief innovation officer role, I thought I would be building innovation labs and throwing beanbag chairs in conference rooms and having success as a result of that. But it ended up, just as you said, it ended up being about people and politics and trying to understand how do people thrive inside of these complex organizations? And that was a surprise to me that it's so much about people and the traits of the people who are innovating. So you start off the book talking a little bit about stages of innovation that companies kind of go through. And you you mentioned there's four stages, innovation maturity, dysfunctional, tentative, confident, and then competent mastery. Why don't you talk through that a little bit? What are the stages of innovation maturity? I had an opportunity to start out my innovation journey in Capital One, like I described before, which was a competent master of innovation. And the biggest trait there and what any organization who wants to be innovative should try to aspire to is having an innovation competency, which is inseparable from the core business strategy. So if you think of the most innovative companies, your Amazons, your Googles, your Teslas, they don't have a separate innovation strategy. And in fact, Mm -hmm. When you get to that competent mastery stage, the word innovation is no longer needed. Everything that everyone is doing is innovative. And we had that environment when I was at Capital One, so I had a chance to work in that, and it was really exciting. And then when I switched career paths and I went to an insurer, I saw the dysfunctional side of innovation. I saw a company that wanted to be innovative but wasn't putting the resources behind it, wasn't changing their strategy to be more innovative, wasn't adapting their culture to be more innovative. And so I was in that dysfunctional maturity stage. And the good news is you can escape that with a little bit of investment and a little bit of help. You certainly need some external help. You can graduate or promote yourself into this tentative maturity stage where suddenly innovation is a thing that people are talking about, but it's still very separate from the business. Mm -hmm. A lot of very innovative companies never reach the competent mastery stage. And instead they find themselves in the third stage, which is confident. If you're confident in your innovation abilities, you can have two separate strategies, one about protecting your core business and a second one that's an innovation strategy. And they can coexist, but they're still going to compete for resources at times. But at least you've gotten through the dysfunction and through the tentative maturity stage and into that confident stage, and you can be very successful there. 
Is that where you hear a lot of people talking about ambidextrous organizations? Is that in your mind where that confident innovator rests when they're operating two separate ambidextrous sides of the business? That's very much what I think it is. There's a great book, Alex Osterweil's business model generation book from a few years back, talked about the business models that an organization can have. And one of those business models is innovation. And he explored that business model as competing with an operational excellence business. They cannot really coexist, right? Mm -hmm. And it has to be either toggling back and forth or having them both separate. And that's the ambidextrous nature of it is you do have your core business operations, which are driving costs down and improving quality. But at the same time, you need to be inventing new things and pushing the envelope on the innovation side. And it's very difficult to balance those two. We've been in this business for a while. It seems like the models and the tools and that have changed quite a bit. Even the the ability for folks to kind of get their arms around some of this kind of stuff. So what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen over the years when it comes to innovation learning and the embracing of innovation in corporations? I think you hinted at this. It started out with as process. When the word became a buzzword, it was about process, right? It was about how do you start with consumer insights and move to a place where you have a tangible innovation. And an innovation itself was either a process or an outcome. The evolution now is that innovation is no longer the process. It's no longer the outcome. It's now a business competency. A lot of organizations need to relearn that. You know, they think of innovation as an outcome. They say, I want innovation. Mm -hmm. But that's not going to get it done because their culture is so complex. Their systems are not set up to be innovative. They actually have to take the time to build the competency so that they can have a repeatable, sustainable innovation competency going forward. That awakening has been the most important step in the innovation journey. Now, hopefully the buzz of innovation is dying off as people start to associate it with this business competency. It's less about magic and it's more about a repeatable, scalable, sustainable competency inside of a business. So can you give me some examples of where you've seen that work or, or fall off the ledge in that process? Certainly from a systems perspective, and I call I use the word systems as very generically, innovation processes are setting up an organization for innovation. That was the buzz 20 or 30 years ago and 15 years ago. What organizations were doing, they were bringing consultants in, the big consulting firms or boutique firms and saying, help us innovate. And these firms would be there for six months and they would help them come up with great ideas and they, they would leave, right? Mm-hmm. They were treating it like a process. When the consultants left at the end, there was nothing left <laughs> to be sustained, right? They didn't actually right. change the nature of the business. Whereas now you've got organizations that are more willing to talk about culture. And even if they're not talking about culture, at least they'll talk about competency. They all want to build competency. And so in that conversation, you can start to introduce, well, we need to build a stronger leadership culture. We need to build a more responsive, nimble, agile culture in order to sustain innovation. And so now you're seeing a very different approach that allows for innovation to actually last and be part of an organization. How does a company then go through that process, especially the areas where there's that pull and push of, hey, we need to do it this way because it's the past and we know we need to innovate. We need to do things differently in that. What are some of the ways that you're seeing companies actually being able to get through that and over that hump to move towards that competency? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say it's impossible without a strong champion at the highest levels of the organization who is willing to upset the status quo of the organization. 
The reason innovation becomes an imperative is usually because there's some business objective that's not being met, right? Mm -hmm. So someone like a CEO will say, well, we need to be innovative, right? They treat it like a magic wand. They'll say, we need to be innovative and suddenly we'll be able to meet all of these objectives. And actually that's true. That's what innovation should be doing. It's working differently in order to achieve a different set of objectives. But the organization tends to get in its own way and you need that person at the very highest levels who's willing to call out the countercultural behaviors or the, the roadblocks that are standing in the way of this innovation progress. And usually it's in a very uncomfortable manner, right? Mm-hmm. They name names. <laughs> they have to say, this process is broken or we need to skirt around this other process here. And it's uncomfortable, but that promotes change. And you only change when you're uncomfortable. And so a little bit of of innovation is about agitating the organization to upset the status quo so that it has a new awareness or new muscle on how to get around itself. Take that person at the top. I I 100% agree. And it seems to be the more I'm talking to more corporations, I'm not 100% sure that most corporations can do it primarily because they don't have that burning platform or that burning person at the top to make changes actually happen. What are some of the things like if you're not the person at the top and you're in an organization, you know, and you've been listening and seeing, and you know, changes need to be made within your organization. How can the lowly individual within an organization start making some progress towards that ultimate goal? Yeah, I found myself in that position. So I was originally hired at the insurance company at Transamerica as a product development guy, right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't the chief innovation officer when I was hired. The expectation was that I would build a couple new things for the business line that I was in. And that's what my book, Today's Innovators, targeted towards is anyone who must innovate in an organization. And that might be the chief innovation officer, but more likely it's someone who's tapped on the shoulder, like a department head or a team leader or a functional leader who's told, you know, you should go innovate. (laughs) Give this a try. So that's Today's Innovator. It's a person who's being tapped on the shoulder and doesn't know what they're up against. And they do need that skill set. They need to build a new skill set. So in the book, I talk about the importance of becoming a quote-unquote innovation leader. And that's not the same as a manager or director of innovation, right? right? It's the mindset and approach to your work where you as an individual learn how to build high-performing teams. You learn how to set clear expectations of the people around you. You learn how to form a strong innovation network around you of people that are interested in what you're doing Maybe most importantly, you learn how to lead change and promote change and do that very empathetically in the organization because change is hard for a lot of people. And when you're that catalyst for change, sometimes you kind of leave a path of destruction behind you. Yeah. (laughs) You know, as innovators start to gear up and they start to gain momentum, they're going to create change and they need to be very empathetic to that. And then ultimately, they need to be accountable to the commitments that they've made and, and what they're trying to do and be all in and committed to it. And with those traits, they can be successful from any seat in the organization. You talked a little bit about kind of the resources that are required. You do need to throw some resources towards this. Have you seen some examples or ideas around small ways or kind of lean resource opportunities, things that you can do or particular programs in that that seem to be a good way to kickstart some of this stuff? Yeah, not to get too technical, but there's a theory of pace-layered architecture, which is this idea of Every business has kind of its core operating system. And a lot of the times innovation is targeted or the initial innovation efforts target that core operating system. And as a result, because the company itself or the business is so protective of the way that it operates today, it's almost impossible to change that core system. 
So what innovators could do to be successful early and have those quick wins is to identify what's called the innovation layer. Instead of the core operating system, find that place where innovation can happen freely and rapidly and start there. At Transamerica, it was the data layer. So we realized we had this tremendous asset of all of this rich data, and we had the asset of a very talented data science team, and we could turn them loose, creating new models, creating new insights very rapidly. That drove some early wins in innovation. And if we had instead tried to build new products or change the core, the way that we operate, we would have been stuck, right? It would have taken 18 months and the company would have lost patience. But because we were able to operate in that area, you know, for other companies, it might be with their content management system, or it might be with, they have a maker lab or something like that, a test kitchen. Right. You could have some quick wins and that's the place to start. You've got the book coming out right now. Tell us a little bit about what you're expecting to happen after this. What's next after the, the book comes out and, and what are you doing right now? The book is an effort for me to, well, first and foremost, prove to myself that I can take complex ideas and put them down for, <laughs> for someone else to consume. And I hope that I've done that. I hope that I've accomplished that. And I'll find out as I start to see the reviews on Amazon. But what I want to do and kind of the mission that I've created for myself is to help others thrive in this world that's changing so rapidly, where the everyday aggressive pace of change is what defines us. And there's individuals that need help with that. There's businesses that need help with that. And I want to figure out a way using this today's innovator platform of helping people thrive with the everyday aggressive pace of change. And that might take the form of workshops. It might take the form of going in and conducting training at organizations, a little bit of consulting here and there, though that's not my goal. Probably writing other books. And, you know, I mentioned the fourth part of the book was the portrait of today's innovator. I had so much fun writing that part of the book. There's so much more rich content there that I can explore. I think that might be another book that I write is really just about who is today's innovator and how can they learn the traits and skills to be successful inside of an organization. I look forward to the first one and the second one. And I appreciate you coming on Inside Outside Innovation to tell us a little bit more about this. If folks want to pre-order the book or find out more about yourself and that, what's the best way to do that? Well, the book available for pre-order on Amazon. Just type in Today's Innovator. You should find it. I am on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me, but I do have the Today's Innovator website launching very shortly. By the time the book is out, the website will be there as well, and you can connect with me there. So I'm very responsive on LinkedIn. That's a great way to get a hold of me. Excellent. Aaron, thank you very much for being on Inside Outside Innovation. I look forward to staying in touch and uh, continuing the talk about what's going on in the world of innovation. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.